Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, a conversation about the power of art and artists to change perceptions. I spoke with multidisciplinary artist, graphic designer, and social justice advocate, Lisa McClymont, to discuss her background, work, her path as an artist, how she chooses her work so that it remains aligned with her self-defined purpose, and her work on the Columbus Art Commission. Also, this episode starts with a mini-episode, if you will, the first in a series of bite-sized conversations with the staffers at Columbus Underground about timely issues that may not warrant a whole show. Today, we're talking about the bike lane discussions that are taking place in Clintonville and around the city with Columbus Underground owner Walker Evans. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, the Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored this week by Art Makes Columbus, Columbus Makes Art, featuring stories about our city's incredible artists, stories full of inspiration, challenge, passion, and success. For videos, articles, an up-to-the-minute calendar of events, and an artist directory, visit columbusmakesart.com, the resource for all things arts and culture in the capital city. Enjoy the episode. Sitting down here virtually with the proprietor of Columbus Underground, Mr. Walker Evans. Walker, how are you, sir? I'm pretty good. How are you doing, Tim? I'm pretty good. You know, at some point, I just thought of this, and I don't know why I never did. We should just do an episode on you and Columbus Underground and, like, the background and how it started and all that stuff. But that's not what we're talking about. Do, do, people, do people want to hear that? They do. They like to know how the sausage is made. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, uh-huh. since you mentioned that, Anne and I collaboratively did a podcast interview probably three or four years ago. I'd have to look, okay. everything feels like it was a million years ago at this point, but three or four years ago with Rita Volpe, who is the wife of Eric Brimbeck, who is, you know, they both own Studio 35 and the Grand yes. Theater. Oh, oh, you're giving a little preview. It all, to... <laughs> it all, it all connects. Two, two degrees of separation in Columbus. Everyone's connected They're, to everyone. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We're talking about bike lanes. Yep. Today, inspired by, at first, I believe, was a little Facebook uprising. Yeah. I mean, the specific bike lane that you're referring to, the one, the, well, the one that I was referring to as well in front of Studio 35 is a part of a larger uh, like road reworking plan for Indianola. Uh, mm-hmm. Just to make it a better route to travel. People drive, you know, very fast on it. You know, no, nothing's really been done with the street for a long time. And so this goes back to like t- meetings in 2015 where mm-hmm. they're talking about road diets, bike lanes, all this sort of stuff. But yeah, there, there was a bit of a kerfuffle, uh, I think, in real life and on social media where people, mm-hmm. you know, are n- now that it's close to happening, they're starting to be a little bit of an uproar. 
So Eric, the owner of Studio Thirty Five, put up a post. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of uh, not being in favor of this bike lane or this reworking because it takes away parking spaces. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, and, and there's a lot of little, you know, nuanced details to how both, you know, kind of sides, I'm using quote fingers, sides uh, <laughs> are kind of take, taking on the issue. But the the plan was to remove parking on one side of the street, the east side, so opposite of Studio 35 and the other row of businesses, mm-hmm. um, while preserving the parking on their side of the street to allow enough room for the installation of bike lanes, you know, going north and south on Indianola. Uh, mm-hmm. So Eric was kind of the the most vocal, but some of the other businesses there kind of all said together, like, we don't want to lose this parking. People are going to have to mm-hmm. park in the neighborhoods. It's going to be an issue for the neighbors. Um, and I think, you know, th- they have a point, you know, to be made. I think also, you know, a lot of small businesses, especially movie theaters, small movie mm-hmm. theaters are coming out of two years of hardship. From right. The pandemic. You know, they, 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 their business has been hit very, very hard. And so to just say, hey, half your parking is going to be gone. Deal with it. It's, it's another <laughs> thing that they're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if, if this were something happening five years ago, maybe the concern wouldn't be as much, you know. But when everybody's, you know, uh, just just going through a really hard time, you don't you don't want one more problem on top of existing problems. And I, and I think that's probably added to the fuel to the fire. And I, I think it's easy for folks to have a reaction to something like that that is, what, how, who could possibly be against bike lanes? Right, 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 right. And, and I think Eric even said, you know, in some of his arguments, like, I'm not against the bike lane. We just need to figure out some way, you know, whether it's like shared road access through there. He, he, he basically just doesn't want the parking to go away. But he's, he's a pro bike lane guy. Um, I think just the way it's going to impact his business is, is kind of a, an issue, but, you know, and, and the, you know, the other side, the sort of the transit advocates that are kind of fighting for it and, and the neighbors that want it too, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of say like, well, you know, th- they point to studies that have been done in other cities that show that bike lanes can actually have an increase in business. You know, it feels weird to also have this discussion in the middle of the winter. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, let's build a bike lane. It's like, well, it's like 10 degrees outside. So, right. uh, but you know, it, it's one of those things that like, you can't prove the demand for it until it exists. You mm-hmm. can't point to the road and say, well, no one's riding their bikes right now. So why are we building a bike lane? It's like, well, they're right. not riding bikes cause there's no safe way. People are driving 45 miles an hour on Indianola. Yeah. No one's going to ride bikes on that. So, I mean, as a so, kid who grew up on Indianola, there's no biking in the street. It's not a right. safe and space. There's only a, a stoplight like every mile in right. that stretch of Indianola too, you know, so cars are just, it's, it's a freeway. It's a highway in the middle of a neighborhood. This, this is really just like the latest, you know, on a side, this isn't a uniquely Columbus issue. Other cities mm-hmm. are going through these kinds of things. This isn't the first bike lane, you know, uproar in Columbus. It's not, it's also not the only one going on right now, but it's getting the most attention. There's a, a bike lane proposal in Bexley. So mm-hmm. not Columbus, but, in Bexley um, on Drexel Avenue, I believe okay. like connecting between broad and main um, yeah. not as many businesses impacted, but the residents there, the, the churches, the, the schools that are along that street are all very upset because they would lose parking, a lot of parking on both sides of the street. But again, you know, and, and I think Bexley's mayor has come out and said, you know, we, we can't just continue to drive. Like we have to make changes mm-hmm. and there's going to be, 
some pain points, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's going to take a little getting used to. Maybe you do have to park another hundred feet away and walk. We, you know, we, we just can't, you know, be a car centric city. You know, if, yeah. if you took a survey of the general public and said, should Columbus be less car centric? Should we have better transportation options? Everyone would say yes. Almost everyone would say yes. And then it yes. comes to like, do you want this bike lane in front of your house or business or whatever? They're like, no, I don't want it right here. <laughs> it feels like NIMBYism, right? It's like, yeah. should we have affordable housing? Of course we should. Should it be yeah. next door to your house? That would hurt my home value. No. Right, 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 right. So yeah, it's 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 a tough situation. I mean, I can I can definitely see it from both sides. I, I think the the big issue too is that you know if this were a bike lane in front of uh you know a big box store, they mm -hmm. they probably you know th there would be less sympathy I think for the business if they said oh we're going to lose ten percent of our business at Walmart. Most people would say who cares? You guys make billions and billions of dollars. So I, I think it's tough when it's, you know, small businesses impacted by this because Studio 35 is a, a gem. You know, it's it's been a theater, I think, for almost 100 years. Right. It's, you know, it's no one wants to see it shut down. Of course So there, there has to be some sort of maybe plan or consideration to, like, maybe help them get through that pain point. You know, th those businesses there. And I don't know mm -hmm. what that looks like, but, you know, helping them go from point A to point B transportation pun there i guess uh <laughs> we've got to find be, the route be, to make this work yeah, that's right right get everyone on board exactly there are all so many transportation puns that's that's a, a bus pun not a bike pun let's get <laughs> let's get rolling on this oh and this is exactly the kind of issue to discuss in this forum because yeah it's you know it there are multiple sides to it and either side could have some some aggression towards the other yeah yeah i mean the, the people are, are pretty heated about this you know which sounds silly because it's just it's a bike lane you know but yeah I, I think it's nice just to have like a conversation about kind of what what's going on you know don't need to devote an entire podcast episode to this but nice little little bite-sized conversation so there you go that's what's Good going stuff. on with the the bike lane issue in, yeah. on Indianola yep. in Clintonville. <laughs> yeah, we've been covering it on Columbus Underground. I'm sure there'll be more updates too. So, you know, check out the website for some, some written pieces in the future. Absolutely. Thanks, Walker. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Sitting down here virtually with Columbus-based artist Lisa McClymont. Lisa, how are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So first of all, tell us your, uh, your sort of background and the work that you do. Well, I am, in summary, a uh, self-taught artist who was okay. trained as a graphic designer, who worked as a graphic designer, mostly independent for about 25 years, and uh, uses some of my design skills to uh, inform my artworks, my visual works. And was this commercial graphic design that you were doing? All sorts, yeah. Okay. From micro from supporting other artists to micro to corporate level, doing um, full branding, brand guidelines, uh, environmental signage. I really covered the full full range. Whatever somebody of needed it, and yeah, they were someone pay needed you. something done for their brand, they could call on me, and I would figure out a way to do it. Gotcha. And what's your your personal background? Where do you come from? 
I was born in New York to two immigrant parents, so I am a child of immigrants. Um, mm-hmm. My twin sister were born in New York, and um, parents got divorced when we were six, and we came here because a lot of my father's family was here. And, okay. Um, he moved back to New York years later, but after college, my sister and I both stayed. So my sister lives in Sunbury, and uh, I've been I cut my teeth here. I came out here i've been my artist self my designer self i've done everything here in columbus so i don't know where else to go <laughs> columbus city schools then yes independence nice okay <laughs> so that neighborhood then too well i moved around a lot not i was not an army brat it was just we moved around a lot so um in high school that was the first time in my whole history that we'd stayed anywhere for a full time before that so all four years at that high school but before that, I was never more than a year or two years in any school between New York and, and here, which was kind of amazing. Gotcha. Were you doing visual art sort of on the side during the that career or this is a life transition? No, I was um, in the class of kids that were taught, you know, to do one thing and learn to do it well. And I got burnt out trying to do that well. So okay, I reached for art as my therapy and... Uh, was able to make a bridge for myself and just say yes to lots of different things to try them. And it's really unlocked a whole new way of working for myself. And how long has that been? Since 2009. So. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Kind of crazy. That's <laughs> I, awesome. I, I say a lot that I broke my life to get here. So a lot of what I'm doing, I would not be doing if I hadn't have gone through what I went through in okay. 2009. So. Can you talk through that a little bit? I was having a lot of um, trouble getting purchased. I think a lot of it, too, was being a black gay woman in a very white, very male industry. Like design Mm -hmm. in Columbus is, there's not a lot of me in there. Okay. Or people like me. So um, trying to get a hold of bigger jobs just became harder and harder to do. And I got more and more depressed. And, you know, I was wearing it. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to the point where I let go of a lot of clients and lost a lot of money and spent the last of what I had as a 401k. I was actually living off of that for like two or three years, okay. lots of crying, lots of very emotional stuff. Um, and the reach for art. Um, I know that I have friends that say art saves lives, and I, I definitely am one of those types of people. I okay. believe in the power of art to shift uh perceptions to help people make change so what i do with my art is um i make something and i envision myself giving it away Um, because that was key for me too Uh, i think before 2009 i was making things but then holding them and not sharing them with anybody in the world so in 2004 you yeah well yeah. yeah i you know the hope to sell it i called myself an artist but i really wasn't activating that part of myself Okay. So I'll also say in 2009, um, I had been on social media for maybe a year. I, okay. I actually have to credit sharing on social media as part of my letting go process and part of letting people into what I was doing to build on. And I think um, that is part of how I gained um, support to become more of myself. So it's been an amazing journey since then. And so talk about your work. What do you... Uh, you're at least according to your website primarily focused on portraiture and murals yes 
yeah, that is the majority of my work right now. Um, before, when I, when I was breaking into things, I was definitely one of the I'm scared to do faces and hands type of artists. So okay. I made lots of color field, ethereal things, abstract landscapes. Um, I had a stint of doing jewelry and I was starting to go somewhere with it, but it was very physical work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I still love Copper Curious, but I, I'm not hammering metal like that anymore. So I pretty much stopped doing that. And in that same year, I reached for the portraits and I assigned myself my first body of work. So I was like, at least you're going to explore uh, different people of color and you're going to explore hands and expressions. And I chose um, to look at the chakras too. So I was, you know, really new age interests. And okay. I think that was a good way to use color to establish a body of work. So I went through the chakras and I thought about what color and meaning means and what that might look like as far as an emotion. And I just kind of put all that together into this body of 15 works and was able to launch from that. I think that is squarely the universe tribe is squarely the body of work that helped me become me today. Like, and I chose to do that. I made that path for myself. And I think that's a very powerful thing to be able to tell somebody. And so was that uh, meant to be a challenge to yourself? Yes. Like, Okay. It was. It was finally the like, you're going to learn how to do expressions. You're going to learn how to work with hands. You're going to learn to do draw these things and, you know, quit being scared of it. And just because I at that point, you know, um, Trayvon had been killed and like all these things were happening politically. And I felt like mm-hmm. putting paragraph in titles of my artwork, my abstract artworks wasn't really it anymore. So I really had to figure out like how to shift what I was doing visually to get at what I really wanted to start talking about or help people shift into talking about. I didn't know before this conversation, you and I know each other personally to an extent. I didn't know that you were not a trained artist. Yeah. Um, Most people think I went to CCAD and I, I got a free ride to OSU and I was, I went to design because, right. You know, back in the day for me, you couldn't just be an artist. Like how are you going to make any money? How are you going to live? So I became a designer and I learned how to be an entrepreneur thanks to being here in Columbus, you know, with yeah. entrepreneurs. Uh, and I still utilize a lot of that. I'm just not trying so hard to be just a graphic designer. I'm not, I'm more of a multi-hyphenate type of person. Well, what's interesting to me is that you do a good job of sort of presenting your work in both a commercial collector space, but also in my head in a... Uh, a contemporary art space in that you can talk about your work. Wow. Well, I appreciate lot. hearing that. I've been working hard to like figure out the storytelling <laughs> part of my work and talk about my work. It's, well, that's, it's, it's a constant journey. It's a lot of what, at least my perception, having worked in contemporary art before, certainly not as an artist, but as a marketer, knowing that a whole bunch of it is just, how does this fit within the zeitgeist? How does this fit within the contemporary art space? Yeah. Um, and that's what plants your flag. Right? Yeah. Yep. Where do you think you got that from? Well, I like to think, I do say I'm a curious and empathetic mm-hmm. problem solver <laughs> and communicator. Okay. You know, my design knowledge or my design training has given me access to ways to utilize collecting info and then Mm -hmm. reformatting it to something that others can use. 
So mm. I'm definitely using my designer self as I approach making art. And I feel like that is where I'm coming from when I do talk about the art. Because, you know, there are a lot of art business people that don't want the touchy-feely stuff. Like, I did this piece because my heart broke and blah, blah, blah. That doesn't, that doesn't mean as much to someone that's like, this is getting at police brutality. Right. You know, it's another emotional way to look at a thing and talk about a thing. And it's less, it's also a little less personal. So I'm also, I'm in a time now where I'm trying to step away and step into the statement of the work as opposed mm -hmm. to me making a statement about my emotional state. If that makes and I'm sense. sorry, what's the name of the group of the 15 portraits? Again? Universe Tribe. So the Universe Tribe is Woman Strong is where I started. And okay. the Universe Tribe still has a presence in my work, my portrait work, um, but it's more of the um, mythological people that the spirits that kind of talk to parts of living or, okay. or, or you know, hope or empathy or love like those things um but then there's a part of my portraiture that i call the odes where i'm looking at living and past heroes of mine and the world's to showcase and bring light to like um audrey lord was a big one for me um octavia butler who is now getting lots of credit in the world um mm -hmm. who didn't have that when i first found her and I read all her books and I just love what she was about, the sociology, how she wrote from a black woman's perspective, mm -hmm. uh, how she wrote into the future, the, the way we could live more positively. It was, she was, she was writing another way to look at me being a Trekkie because <laughs> that's what I loved about Star Trek. The next generation is how they put a spin on like how we could be as humans. That mm -hmm. wasn't just dystopia. <laughs> <laughs> right maybe it could be a good outlook well you know it's there's good and bad you know there's still strife we're gonna always have that but um how do you deal with it how do you reframe it so you, it's useful for you um sci-fi helped that for me octavia star trek all of that really helped me expand what i wanted to be in the world or how i wanted to look at the world how i want the world to look at me yeah so when you set out for this project, did you define it all from the from the outset of like, I'm going to do 15 of these? I did because I like multiples of three. I work in multiples of three. It's a weird okay. little thing that I've got. Sometimes some fall by the wayside. I think I originally went for 24 or 18 or something like that. And uh -huh. I had sketches for it and they just kind of like, nah, I'm not going to go for that. Actually, I did. It was 18 and there are three that I can think of. One I sanded down and I just used the board for something else. Uh -huh. But um, they don't all survive. You know, like I try for some things and then bring them all along and not all of them make it to that end. I might put that idea away and then revisit it later when I go for my next body of work or my next chapter in that series and so were you able to be purposeful from the outset and say i'm always super interested in like the how do you I work love it. yeah it's from the outset were you able to set a timeline were you a like did you map out like here's what these 18 are gonna be i mapped them out okay and I, i'm like i have you know a little matrix of like here's some colors i want to work with these are my mm -hmm. like my go-to's um, I know I want to work on wood because at that point I decided I didn't really like working on canvas. Okay. I knew I needed a body of work, so I needed more than like six to nine pieces to make it solid. Um, and I set the intention of the healing, the healing of myself as well as 
putting out that to the world in the hopes that I could shift somebody else's perception of themselves and, and of black people. Cause really it comes down to um, expanding the monolith of black people. Like I think there's a lot of people that still think black people and they're this, hmm. and you know, at that point that was um, 2015 is when I started the universe tribe series. So, um, you know, five years five to six years into my self-taught self, it was mm-hmm. time to really get into this, the meat of it. And that's how I chose to do that. And so did you know at that point? I had no timeline either. I was you just didn't like, have a timeline. let's try for a thing. And then I um, work in spurts. So I'll just, you know, carve out some time from my schedule. And at that point, you know, I was doing some freelance. I didn't, I wasn't working full time. So I was just like, uh, going with the flow as much as possible so every moment i had that i had like some mental time i was trying to get into this thing but i could sit and work for like six to 12 hours and just have snacks and just work 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 and get a whole lot done um and i still do that but i don't push myself as hard like i get sleep now yeah that's good (laughs) that's good and so was there a goal from the so you have the goal for the completion yeah. Was there a goal of, I want to create a body of work that can go into a gallery? Or... My first my first jump was, I would like to create a body of work. So when I kept doing okay. my own portfolio website, I didn't feel like I had enough to hang anything on. So I had like pieces and parts of things like this was a good piece, that was a good piece, but nothing felt cohesive. The colors were looking kind of cohesive, like I'd locked in early on uh, what kind of colors I want to use. And Mm -hmm. ultimately, it's, you know, the queer in me, I use a lot of the rainbow, like I'll use Mm -hmm. the spectrum of color, but I have meanings on why I use different colors. And I might mix up how they are so they're not showing in rainbow form. But um, color is mood, color is education and color helps create um, the story for me. Hmm. So I was achieving all of that with that first body of work. And then I was able to put a big chunk of, you know, make a page that's the universe tribe. I had a title of this body of work and I mm-hmm. called it ongoing because I'm like, I don't know if I'll hit this again. So I'm gonna, I can always add to it. Yeah. Add another three. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And I, yeah, and it goes on, but the the start of that was, uh, you know, I, you know, hung a lot of hope on it, and hope that it got some attention. I hope that I did all these things, and I showed it, you know, in a couple of places, and it didn't really take a hold because at that point I was still getting requests for the jewelry and doing hmm. tables, and um, it wasn't giving me the income that I was looking for. Doing yeah. a table at a market and then walking away with like a thousand, if you're lucky, usually two fifty, that t- covers the cost of buying that table space right. wasn't wasn't enough anymore it's like i really need to lock into something that i can call myself an artist a working artist not yeah. an artist that hopes to make a living on it you know so i think i hit that like in, in 2017 i was able i was invited to um a show at faculty club and that's where um uh, rebecca eibel came to my show and um she was key in uh, getting me into the Art for Life, which is a big auction, the mm-hmm. oldest running, the longest running auction for art um, that supports the LGBTQ community, specifically the HIV AIDS community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, it's just been building on a thing, you know, but the getting started is really worth recognizing and thinking about a lot. So I appreciate this now. And so is she, are you represented? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. She represents me. Talk a little bit for those that aren't familiar just about how that works. I think everybody's or most people are familiar with here's how an agent represents an actor. They get them mm-hmm. auditions and they help negotiate the contract. How does yeah. it work with visual art? Um, well, I'm still, I was completely unfamiliar with that. So I'm still navigating that world of representation. I do know that it's jumped my pricing quite a bit and <laughs> it, you know, it, you know, it took me out of a market that I was used to. So I'm still navigating that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for working with her, I also have access to other artists to talk about process, mm-hmm. uh, chances to show out of Columbus, um, negotiating with someone on like where to go from here which is kind of exciting i've had some really great conversations with her about what i'd like and then she recommends you know who i should look at and you know um not necessarily process wise what to look at but more people to meet and where Mm -hmm. i could show up next to show my art so definitely learning as i go with that yeah how do you think about your art now is it that like okay this is my job are you at a point where and maybe this is not a point that people have to get to where you're like, okay, I've got to create the, this many works or this scale of works over this predetermined amount of time. Ooh, that is a deep question. Um, mostly because I have interests and I work in multiple areas. Mm -hmm. So for the fine art aspect, I definitely want to create another chunk of work to have Rebecca be able to sell. But I also, because of the protests, had started doing murals and Mm -hmm. doing talks with, you know, groups about Black Lives Mattering and that kind of thing. Um, So there is also the maintaining a presence within the social justice sphere um, Mm -hmm. as an artist. So making my work speak up for not just me, you know, but my community, my gay community, my black community, my women community. Um, I think a lot about all of that and what that means as I embark on any piece. So if I can have a mural um, showcase a hero and be put in an area where it educates people, that hits a lot of buttons and makes it more likely that I'll want to participate in creating that mural. Because I've been invited to do murals that are just they want my body in the presence painting live. And while that can be cool, that's not really what I need to be about. So I have to keep focused on, you know, the core thing and maybe I have to say no to that so I can sit in the studio and start on my body of work or keep working on my body of work. And so is there just back to the representation part of it, is there a, like, does she have an expectation of you of you're going to generate this amount of work ahead ahead of this show? Like, is that how that timeline works? I, I think in the end, that's where we're going. I think she okay. found me so early um, that I am still trying to figure that out. I think okay. I would like to get to the point where every year she gets three to six works that are different sizes. Mm-hmm. hopefully larger like i'm pushing myself to work larger and that's been hard for me but that is something i'm I'm working on um to populate that work i don't have a 
number of other work I do because, you know, I'll still do some design work. I'm really just hustling to make sure I keep my financial basis covered. You know, like yeah. at the end of the day, I have to make sure I have enough money for my health care and all that other stuff. Absolutely. So I've been taking on these works and then trying to hold on to like the the desire to keep my art up here right keep present you know so i'm feeling the stress of that it's the new year and it's not technically not the new year anymore it's in, we're in march now um I and think we haven't painted anything so all, all of q1 is the new year <laughs> we get all our work done in q2 and q3 exactly and the, the, holidays. Hustle, the hustle starts then but spring is usually the downtime but i have that burning like oh i gotta do some, some things so the second i start you know getting a, the first piece the first portrait like the last touches on it i'm gonna feel really good but until then i'm still in like marinating mode and production but, mode some people call it seasonal affective disorder but uh, you know. yeah there is a lot of that <laughs> there is a lot of that going on for sure i'm in ohio that's what we do yeah <laughs> Can you talk a little bit more about your uh, mural work, what that was inspired by and what the what the actual because you do some commercial and some art. Yep, it is a mix. Um, And I I really got started because I was working at Kappa. Um, I'm not there anymore. But at the time that uh, the pandemic hit, I was still I was only we left. Let's see. I started in November Mm -hmm. and we left like the year before. So about four months I was on the job and the pandemic hit and everybody was remote. So I was lucky to have the job for that time. But by, mm. by the time May hit, there was so much unrest, you know, between the police and what was happening nationwide. Um, crying on the couch again, like sitting there like, oh, my God, is this my life now? I was actually in this space, in, in the seat that I'm sitting in right now. But mm. uh, I got the call after the the big protest broke out and the windows of the Hyatt Theater were broken and they had mm-hmm. to wood up um uh kappa reached out and asked if i would be interested because i knew i was an artist too if i'd Mm. be interested in painting a mural and i said uh i would definitely be interested but at that point i had never done murals let alone really any live painting um Mm. just because i just felt it felt like really performative and i'm not a performer in that sense and like all that stuff so i reached out to adam who brought in jen rubleski and jen's partner andy and the four of us came together and created that mural and that was really the thing that hinged on all of a sudden all these murals popped up downtown and in Mm -hmm. short north and um so it's kind of really great to be a part of that history but the bottom line is we were all there as artists to speak up for the rights of other human beings um and not just to put you know nice art out there so and it's adam burlett you were referencing right Oh, yes. I said, yes. I'm sorry. I thought I said this. Oh, it's okay. Of Blockfort, who um, all three of them are my Blockfort family because I Mm -hmm. had a studio there. But right at the pandemic, um, me and my partner, Kat Sheridan, moved out of Blockfort so we wouldn't have to pay as much rent because we were both working full time. And, you know, Blockfort needs a presence of artists that work there during the day and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we had moved out. That was one of the projects we got to work on and we got to see each other and and be together for a little bit. Um, And it was really encouraging being downtown. You know, there's swirls of people circling the state house. They walk the block and every few minutes I'd see them again while we were painting and we'd cheer them on and they'd cheer us on. And um, in that sense, it was a really great experience. And then nighttime hit and it was like free for all again. 
well, mm-hmm. island. Um, so I didn't find myself downtown. I'm, I'm old. I, I didn't want to do that. So I found a different way to support and a different way to raise protest. And I just stuck with that. And from there, it uh, started, um, I, I started getting calls for, for work on my own. So mm-hmm. my official first mural was at Veritas, um, okay. where I did a quote on Gwendolyn Brooks. So I, I look back to when I was born, um, late 60s, and I, you know, all the people that left us really great information that we could use today wrote it back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, you know, took quotes that basically said um, Black Lives Matter without saying that because at that point it was really becoming um, a, a, just a catchphrase instead mm-hmm. of really what it was meant to be, which is, you know, the true statement. Um, right. So it was very politicized. Uh, so I found ways to keep that conversation going by looking at it from different facets. And I think that is the core of all of my work at this point. I still do that. Um, I think me as a black gay woman coming to the table, being invited to a table to speak on it or talk to a group that is probably mostly white or at least um, show the community that we are trying to work together to push for some change um, makes everybody feel good, number one. Hopefully I push enough buttons that, you know, they think about something and make a change. Um, and it's not just decorative, but you know, art is art. And at the end of the day, it can end up being just decorative. Um, right. so, you know, there's, I'm always very watchful of like where that energy goes and how to police it. Um, you know, full-time job. <laughs> it's still a job. Right. It's a job. It is a job. It's a physical job, but, uh, I still love the idea of painting letters. Um, I've mm-hmm. gotten a little more painterly in my approach, like my um, mural that I did at the end of 2020, 2020 um, was Ramblin' House. And then I got to finish it last year, early last year. And last I was going to say that was last year because I drove by. And I, I started it you. and then winter hit. Right. So it was like right before winter hit. And then got I it. did a first phase just to get it up there and get people excited. And then I went back and I got to put, put all the instruments in and, and actually finish it. Got it. Um, and then right after that, I did. I got to do Spock on in Clintonville. So if you see Live Long and Prosper across from Lucky's Market, right next door to Giant Eagle, that was me. And I got there to you paint, go. do my Trekkie self. So <laughs> Spock's head and hand are five feet tall. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> so with that, I'm sure they all happen differently. But yeah. It usually is a like, oh, I heard you do this thing. I really would like you to do something on our wall. And then the conversation. And then do you have to submit it to them of like, here's what I'm planning. Is this? Yep. Yes. So I proposed a couple of designs Um, with the Spock one. We originally were going to do something based on the brand um, repair, recycle, renew or something like that. Repair, reuse, recycle. Sorry. Um, I tried all these things and then I slept on it because I wasn't happy and I woke up and I was like, yeah, Clintonville needs stock. (laughs) So I proposed it and I, you know, they went for it and I knew they would because they fixed computers and they're like, you know, it it fits. It fit perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a well-loved thing. So I absolutely agree with that. I was able to paint it in a week too. So it was about a week and a half of planning and approvals and sketches and all that stuff. And then I, got it all done in a week with the thank of a friend let me 
borrow their plat their lift not that plat not lift their um scaffolding yeah so I'm able to use the scaffolding up and down the wall and like got it all done in a week so i feel pretty proud of that that's, <laughs> that's good. a lot of work <laughs> and no, it was absolutely. like the hottest week of september too <laughs> And you sit on pivoting just a little bit. Yeah. You, you also sit on the, the Columbus Public Art Commission. I do. I'm all over the place. <laughs> and so talk about sort of what philosophy you're bringing to that. So uh, what's really great with that is, um, number one, I was nominated and um, by Mary Gray, who used to run uh, Rife Gallery. who's amazing. Mm -hmm. She's still on the commission. Um, I'm not sure she'll renew another cycle. I think she's already gone through a couple. But um, I was really, well, proud to be invited, but I, I was really interested in learning more about what it takes to bring art to the city, what mm -hmm. that process is, like how, how does it happen? it seems like such a closed network thing. Um, so being on the board helps me see it and I, where I can, I'm not like, you know, blogging about it or anything, but mm -hmm. where I can, I try to share some insight and talk about that. So when I get to jury a show or when I'm proposing art, I have more of a informed when I'm proposing murals, I mean, street murals, mm -hmm. I have a better idea of like what's happening at this level, you know, the higher level in the city and, um, not that all the street murals get funded by the city cause they don't. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where it's like, things get a little like overlap. So I might be approving on a mural, uh, like the crew stadium mm -hmm. and then I go down the street and I paint something, you know, down a little alley on a small business wall, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's been really fascinating to learn a little bit deeper about the process of how art informs our city. Um, so Public Art Commission has been really great. It's a good, thoughtful, um, empathetic group of people who, uh, you know, come from all ranges. I'm one of the few working artists, but there's lots of other business people um, and arts administrators that um, ultimately volunteer their time to right. help guide what's happening. And is it sort of a, the city has a certain amount of funding set aside for public art and you're yes helping and to no, it? Okay. but realistically there has been no money, the pandemic and all these other things happening. We haven't really been able to recommend any spending of any sort There's a freeze right now. So um, we're pretty much in a holding pattern, trying to figure things out as we have been tasked with um, taking down Christopher Columbus statue and mm -hmm. changing the state, seal and the flag and like what all that looks like without a budget so <laughs> and you not not to correct you but you do mean the city seal city seal so sorry yes not the yeah, state okay. yeah city seal um because i think christopher columbus is in the seal the boat that's right santa, santa maria. maria that's right you can see it on the side of every policeman's jacket yeah, I learned that a police officer or someone in the police force, someone designed that. Oh, so I didn't know that. I just only recently learned that. I did so, not know that. Yeah, so I'm gonna, what... we haven't, I haven't dipped, dipped into like the history of it and done a whole lot yet because we have to put um, a request for a proposal out uh -huh. to, to find vendors to, to do this work. So I'm trying to hold off on going in depth with my designer brain on it. Cause that's not really what my job is supposed to be. So <laughs> right. Well, and I that's... personally would love to know, but I'm, 
I'm hesitant because I'm, you know, I'm busy doing these other things. So I'm really trying not to put a ton of time into that right now. And so that that RFP is specific, is different from what's going to happen with the statue. Very different. It's a whole different yeah. committee. So the statue committee has met. So um, two other, sorry, three other commission members um, were on that committee with representatives from the Italian uh, community as well mm-hmm. as the Native American community to mm-hmm. discuss like how to move forward from here. Um, so this whole last year has been a really in-depth um sometimes traumatic experience for everybody but um it's exciting to hear the conversations that are happening around this um i wish that there was a way to let the rest of the public know because just kind of went away and nothing to them is nothing is happening but um there's not really a great time to talk about it because there's no advancement yet this is just conversations happening that need to happen um, to see where we go from here. So not right. even any resolutions or anything. Yeah. No recommendations yet either. So it's been interesting. No, it's a super interesting process. Mm-hmm. And like the word that comes to mind is sort of the disavowing that's happening. You know, you and I have been here and are old enough to remember yeah. that like our visitors bureau was called discover Columbus. And right. there was a boat and yeah. it was, you know, we were, not only named Columbus, we were very proud of the namesake of it. And which to to a lot of people was a lot better than Cowtown. So <laughs> we yeah. finally got away from Cowtown. I and I don't <laughs> it's uh I, it's a needed change and I'm glad to hear that it's happening. Yeah. So me too. Um I wanna wrap up just by I asked the same question of everybody. What do you think Columbus does well? And you can take this outside of your art sphere if you want. And what does Columbus maybe not do so well? Ooh, could do the not do so well easily first. You can start there. I will say that Columbus is a blue oasis in Ohio. I think Mm -hmm. that um, there is a lot of diversity thanks to our colleges. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of industry and drive. Um, I love all of that. I think where Columbus does not do well, I think the largest is public transit. I think very transit in general. I mean, you know, we have the Kogo bikes, but biking in general isn't in a great situation. I think more attention needs to be made there. Um, Penalizing hybrid car owners such as myself. Mm Mm-hmm who is a working artist and I'm not a rich person. So paying an extra hundred dollars to register my tags and get a sticker to put on my car every year is outrageous. And it makes me angry. Um, I think that there's work to do there, especially with all this talk of like electric cars hitting the place. Electric Mm -hmm. cars have 200 every year in Mm. addition to their registration tag Um, because we don't go and buy enough gas. So but I bought the car because I didn't want to buy gas. So I feel like there's a different way to approach that because the claim is you're not putting enough money into paying for the road repair. And that seems loose to me because why, why not just hike up the gas? So that balance is there. And then everybody pays a little bit extra on their tags because Mm -hmm. we're all using cars on the roads, but whatever. Um, (laughs) You know, and, and, you know, supporting Coda in a better way, like treating Coda like this weird, wicked stepchild, and then mm-hmm. scolding them for not being able to 
do the service they want to do. They've been doing it for decades. Um, I think that's a fail. It's not just on CODA to be better. It's really on how Columbus handles public transit. Mm -hmm. You know, the Metro rail that people keep talking about, that's never going to happen from the sound of it, unless a Republican governor comes in or something. I really don't know what's going to happen, but you get none of us do. No. Yeah. So, oh, well, there's a bunch of other things, but I think that right there, mobility is a big one. I think um, if there were ways to make it so people wanted to travel more together in a system that Mm -hmm. was a healthy system, that was a good, fair, um, there'd be more people and we wouldn't be holding onto our cars as much. There wouldn't be as much wear and tear on the roads and blah, blah, blah. yeah, I should stop there. <laughs> no, that's good, though. That's good, though. Lisa, thank you so much for your time today. Yes, thank you. We covered a lot of bases. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite artist. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week. Thank you.